and welcome to Leaders Call to Adventure, the show for those that take the road less traveled. I'm Lori Ference. First of all, I'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to those of you that reached out to me after my last episode, Lori Ference, Transparent. It was really gratifying to hear how deeply that episode touched you, and I really love to keep up the dialogue. So when something impacts you, do reach out, let me know. Picking up a thread from that episode where I'd mentioned the topic of target market and the idea of perhaps asking Frank Butterfield what his thoughts were on that very topic. So I invited Frank back thinking, we're probably gonna talk for about 20 minutes. I'll get his thoughts on that and release this episode pretty quickly. Well, that's not what happened. (laughs) Frank arrived at the call a bit late and I'd been having sort of an arduous texting conversation with somebody. (laughs) And instead of just simply putting that aside or maybe having an offline conversation with Frank about what was going on for a few minutes, I felt that somehow what I was going through, what was real for me, might have something oddly to do with the whole conversation about target market. I didn't know why, but that just came to me. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to be as real as possible about what's going on for me. And we'll see what happens. I decided to leave the conversation pretty much as is that 20 minute talk that I thought I would have turned into almost two hours without trying to analyze it, overanalyze it, give too much away. Let me just say through our conversation and really considering what Frank said to me, things shifted. So I can give you an update at the end of the conversation about that. And just leave this here. Hope you like it. Hope it means something to you. I have a feeling it will. (laughs) We'll just go with that. Enjoy. From just years of habit, I never put anything in my calendar until I have a thing that says, this is how we're going to connect. All right. And it just didn't even occur to me to, like, I completely forgot. Okay, so, that's fine. Uh, so I was sitting at Starbucks. Now I'm over at the beach, which is actually even better. So. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm trusting that, uh, you know, whatever, the 20 minutes that, that we haven't connected yet were needed to happen. I'm, <laughs> I'm in it a sort of emotional state right now. Um, and I have to also believe that that's serving our conversation. Well, you know, it's interesting because whenever this kind of stuff happens on my end, when I'm, you know, I've got a client that I'm meeting with, or I've got a workshop that I'm doing, when shit goes down, Paul always says exactly the same thing every time, which is something really amazing is going on. This doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It's feeding whatever it is. The contrast is feeding whatever it is that's going to happen. And they're always right. Mm. It's the conversations are always amazing stuff that you would never have thought would have happened begins to happen. So uh, I'm totally behind that. I mean, it's, it's, I've, I've seen it happen <laughs> a lot and I mean, contrasts like the call doesn't connect or everybody gets disconnected at one time or, you know, all the things that five, six, seven years ago, I would have had a nervous breakdown about. Now I'm just like, oh, this is good. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> really 
and time, time is always on your side. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's that's brilliant because, uh, uh yeah, I'm gonna talk about what what happened for me before our call started because I do feel that no matter how much of what I, the preface of my story that I'm going to include in here or not, or if I'm going to record an intro or whatever is going to happen in the final format of this, that my expressing what's real for me right now feels important and that I think it's going to somehow shape the conversation. Um, and I'm trusting the timing of that. So if you're open to that, then we just go with that. Yeah. Okay. I am myself and my family are currently renting a house and this was after many many years of home ownership um for most of my life I've been a homeowner and so this last three and a half years of renting a house um living in a we moved we sold the house and are living in a different city and really love the house love the location. Uh, it's been a huge blessing for myself and my family uh, in terms of things that, you know, we had wished for or intended uh, for many, many years prior to where we are now. And in the community that we were in before, um, while it served us in different ways, there were things that were missing for us that were pretty significant. And that was namely having a feeling of, well, which was one of my primary intentions when I got this place in this other city was to have a home in a neighborhood where my kids could be out and have the kind of childhood I did where would they would have friends to play with on the street and um, lots of play dates and a great feeling of community and all those things while our the school that the kids went to was a block away and in many ways a lot of the boxes were checked in terms of what that location offered us um, it didn't offer us that and we felt very sort of isolated in a way because of the type of people that were in the neighborhood um, were just different and their priorities were different than ours. And, and when we made attempts to do the play dates and stuff, there just wasn't a lot of momentum behind it. So we, we were really, I think in a way I would describe it as suffering in silence for a good decade of our lives <laughs> in that sort of feeling. And I, do what I'm really relating to what you said about the contrast because I know that that situation serves uh, served us and particularly serves my appreciation now of what we have which is living in a community where we have wonderful neighbor who you know right now he has some sciatica so he's not able to snow blow our driveway but he does it right and um really good uh my son my daughter's now living in the city because she's going to university so all that didn't matter but while she was here she went to a school that has really helped her in her studies and get into the program that she's in and you know has set her up in a in a good way now my son has been the beneficiary of having all the friends in the neighborhood we live in uh, kind of a court area where there, all the houses are in a circle and there's a central boulevard and there's probably about six 
boys or more that he plays with that are right here and they play out in the street in the summer and the winter time they go out and there's they, there's a snow pile in the center of the of the court and they can slide down it and have lots of fun and then a few blocks away if he just rides his bike or walks he's got a whole bunch of other friends that are in his same grade that go to the same school and it was something like the manifestation of something that was very dear to us that was, you know, felt like it was delayed. Um, however, the fact that it's there is just so wonderful and we appreciate it so much and it just warms my heart and I have gratitude in my heart for it every day. And the fact that we've connected with many of the parents of those boys and that we have friends and we have social invites and all that is just the fulfillment of something that is so wonderful to me. In this location, the school that he goes to, our access to different things. I'm a I'm a trail runner, an ultra runner. I've talked about that on the podcast. And we have trails that are just behind the house. And, and I can run south, uh, east or west and be on trails and run and, you know, get really great runs in on trails and not on road. And so there's many things that this location and this home and the setup of this home where both my husband and I have our own home offices and my son has his own room and my daughter had her own room. She's now not living here, but she can come back to that room. It's just everything serves us in, in that way. And there is, of course, well, if that's all so great, what's what's the issue, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the issue is that, uh, you know, I'm just going to say it what it is. Uh, the, the, the issue is um, the people that are leasing this or renting this place to us. Now, it's a husband and wife. Um, the husband is always very friendly with us. But since the beginning, um, while the wife seemed outwardly friendly, um, has been the kind of person that has not been very easy to get along with. I feel like she crosses boundaries, that she has a lot of um, concern about her property that is unfounded, uh, I would almost say on the verge of paranoia. Um, We've been exemplary tenants, never missed a rent check, keeping things in fine form here. we get along wonderfully with the neighbors and through these, you know, three and a half years where all these other wonderful things have come to us through living in this house. Um, at the undercurrent is feeling almost like, you know, we pay really, really good money to, to, to live here. Um, the owners have probably increased their net worth by a few hundred thousand dollars because of property value, uh, you know, values in this area. Um, having tenants in here um, and good tenants has, you know, been a, a pretty big boon for them financially. And at the same time, she does things like she needs to inspect the house and will schedule an appointment, uh, say, with the heating and air conditioning company to do maintenance and then say to me, oh, well, I need to check the house. I need to do the inspection and, and, and I can do it now or I can do it later because I don't want to be having somebody continually coming in here like a revolving door because it is our home. Um, even though we are renting, I say, no, go ahead. And she will schedule things last minute and then not tell me and somebody will show up and it's, and, and then she expects me to call her and tell her that 
these people are here. But I, the last time somebody showed up in the summertime, I just let them come and do their inspection because I figured I'm not going through all that. If they want to come in here and fix something or look at something um, and they have an agreement to do that, fine. That said, she will schedule, um, you know, some maintenance on something like, like today where she is scheduled um, a furnace inspection. And then this morning says to me, well, I'd like to, I'd like to inspect the house. And if not today, then let's schedule another time. Now, of course, underneath all that, I don't, like I said, I don't want somebody to come in here uh, inspecting um, and looking for what. Uh, it seems to me it's just, it feels like an invasion of privacy to me. And I'm getting to the point where after this sort of thing, and other situations which seem that she doesn't really have much appreciation for the fact that she has us in here and that we are as good of tenants and family as we are, um, that it's, it's sort of, and I mean, this is very hot for me right now, but it's, it's taking over all that other good stuff to the point where I'm almost ready to move out in the middle of winter without having anywhere else to go just to not be in that situation anymore. So that's what's real for me. While you were late in, in arriving at the call, we were texting back and forth with her about this inspection and, uh, you know, why do you need to do this inspection? And what about the outstanding repairs that you said you were going to do that you haven't done yet? And then she's, well, what repairs are those? And her husband was in here two to three weeks ago um and i can't even remember what the what the reason was for him coming in here but he said that he needed to check something and then we said well can you please oh he needed to shut the water off to the outside um and uh, from the inside vent in in the basement and so i said well can you please change the lights because there's a whole bunch of pot lighting down there that's very specific lights um, that need to be be changed and aren't easy to do and so he was in here changing lights and then we showed him an issue in one of the washrooms that needs to be attended to and he was supposed to do all that and we hadn't heard anything about it so yeah when you say that the contrast is showing up for a reason I I really appreciate that and embracing embracing that that message Wonderful. Yeah. So where do you want to go from here? I think into an exploration of, of that process of when you feel like things are coming up, they're really what you don't want. Um, in in the in this what feels to be the center of a lot of the things that you do want what does that mean well trying to derive meaning out of contrast to me is a fool's errand because essentially what you're saying is here are all the things that happened in the past what evaluation can I make out of the past to apply to the present and the future going forward? 
Metaphysically speaking, there is no such thing as the past. It doesn't exist. You have memories that you don't like. And that's really all that it comes down to. And you're in this conversation, you've been cultivating those memories, which probably served a really good purpose. But trying to sort out the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, which is what you were just sort of saying, mm -hmm. leaves you with your hands covered in wheat and chaff. You don't really get anything out of it. What you get is a lot of jumbledness. So one of the things you said that to me just jumps right out is that you feel like you're in this place where you would be, you're just ready to leave the house in the middle of the winter, which, you know, for me sitting on the beach in Florida, I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I do know what that means. To, that you're willing to leave the house in the middle of winter, or maybe not willing, and, and that's actually a key word, but wanting to leave the house in the middle of the winter without knowing where you're going to go. Of course, you're not the only person in the house, right? Yeah. There's three of you. Yeah. So it's not just your decision, right. but that's sort of the place where you feel pushed mm -hmm. as though this woman and her you know, and then also sort of what sounds like her enabling husband are uh, doing this thing where they're being really odd and strange landlords, probably because they have no idea what they're really doing. And um, trying very hard to make sure they don't lose control of their own situation. Yeah. That's actually the thing that comes up the most is that this feels like, it looks like, it sounds like to me, which may or may not be true, that basically when she comes into your space, she's trying to keep charge of everything. Yes. Which then dynamically puts you in a place where you have to either be the one who is submitting to her being in charge or you are in opposition to being in her being in charge, which is a seesaw. Mm -hmm. And seesaws are always very interesting. They're not useful. They don't serve any useful purpose that I can ever see. But they're binary, and they that binary dynamic there puts you in opposition to one thing or another. Either you're in opposition to your own will, which is you're submitting to hers, or you're in opposition to hers. Right. But neither of those is true. Whenever a seesaw presents itself, you know that both ends are wrong. There's something else off of the seesaw that doesn't actually probably have anything to do with any of the matters at hand. And that's why sort of cultivating the ideas of the details and the specifics is useful up to a point, particularly if it's really good for, like, it can be very cathartic, right? You have the emotion as you're talking about it, and then you kind of realize, oh, okay, this is the extent of the emotion. Mm -hmm. Because so much of the time, I think, we spend a lot of time being afraid of what we're going to feel yeah. and then when we actually feel it it's like oh i didn't actually kill someone this is pretty this is okay i'm i'm fine mm -hmm. or i didn't actually jump off a cliff or i didn't you know run out of the street running amok which is what a lot of people are afraid of i think yes so when you notice there's a this is what i do when i notice that there's a seesaw i realize okay it's either submit to her or enforce my own rules well Neither of those is probably true because they're, they, you go back and forth and back and forth. So it's a seesaw. You're in, it, basically in opposition to two different ideas. So if you get off the seesaw, there's probably a third. But, you know, it's interesting because it's not really a third. It's another. It's mm -hmm. something completely out of that context that's possible. Some other idea. And the contrast to me 
is not because you said something that really got my attention. The contrast of 10 years to me doesn't mean anything. It's the contrast of this morning. Because physical reality is constantly assembling itself. This is the way, you know, this is everything that's behind all the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Physical reality is assembling itself consistently over and over again for you. So when contrast arises now, that's significant. As Paul would say, it, when contrast arises, the first 10 seconds are useful. And then after that, you can mine it if you want to and use it for whatever reason feels right to you, or you can turn away from it. It's not really going to be that helpful anymore. Mm. It's a very radical thing, and not everyone would agree with that, and that's fine. But I find that very useful. So the contrast of this morning is useful. The contrast of the 10 years, the quote-unquote lesson you learned, for me personally, that's not useful. Okay. Because this woman's in your face. Yeah. She's texting you, this is what you're going to do, and this is what I need you to do, and this is how I'm not going to respond, and this is how I'm going to be, and this is how I'm going to act. That's enough contrast. you got plenty there. You don't need what you did before. Yep. But to me, the key here when I, as I'm listening to what you're saying, the key here is willingness. You want to move because you want to get away from this woman. True. But my guess is you probably aren't willing to move <laughs> because you said in the winter, in the winter, it's in the winter. Yeah. It's, it's so like what fool, you know, in driving snow and peeding, you know, pelting sleet and, who knows what, you know, because I'm sitting here in Florida thinking, I don't, you know, what igloo are you going to find to yeah. get to? Yeah. So the thing is, is that if you're willing to move in the middle of winter, not knowing where you're going to go, and with all of the, the doubtfulness and all of the trepidation that that brings up. Yeah, it's not great. Something, something will probably happen, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the seesaw is what's keeping you in place. Mm-hmm. that back and forth, do I submit to her or does she submit to me? Right. And that's, you know, the, that's a very generalized way of putting it. There's probably a lot more dynamic to it than that, but that's just what's really obvious from where I'm sitting. Yeah, it's basically pushing it there. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're offering resistance to something you have, which resistance itself is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with resistance. It's just when you apply something and you're not letting situations, circumstances, stories, other people, relationships, evolve and have their own way of moving for you. The underlying aspect of everything that, that, that I'm about is that you live in an absolutely friendly universe with the, with no exception. It doesn't mean that it's always actually showing up in exactly the way that you would like for it to. And that's where the, you know, trying to manipulate the universe comes in. Yes. But it is ultimately friendly. It is ultimately friendly in a way that is deeply, deeply specific, but it is not personal. And that's where a lot of people get tripped up, I think. Because when you believe that the universe is personal, then you you get on a seesaw of mm-hmm. it's either for you or against you. But it's you, you, and you. <laughs> it's doing it to you. But the universe isn't doing anything to you. It is, however, doing everything for you but in a very specific way that isn't personal. And I love, love, love that conversation about the specific and the personal. Okay. Because the specific is how 
like literally every atom of every object of everything that you have in your physical possession and every aspect of every quality of every relationship that you have with every person you know, all of those things are in place for you, but they're not personal. <laughs> so, I like, how can they not be <laughs> right well if you think of everything as being a lesson you're learning then it's going to be very personal mm. because of course you're an idiot you need to be taught something right mm. except for the part where you're not an idiot no one is an idiot even people who are clinically use that term there no one is stupid everyone is brilliant everyone is plugged into who they really are everyone even people who are doing horrible terrible awful things they're still plugged into who they are the way Paul puts this is that what we tend to do is everyone does everything that they do because they're going to feel better as a result of doing it. Where the snub comes, where the, the real rub comes is when you do something now because of what you're going to get later. If the payoff isn't instantaneous, you're missing the point. Mm. That's my idea. Mm. And that's what I keep hearing Paul say over and over and over again. Because everything only happens in the present moment. There is no future and there's no past. Those are all constructs that we just use in order to sort of assemble things so that they'll make sense to us, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. But relying upon them isn't helpful because the power is always in the present. When you rely on the past, like, I'm going to do this because I remember how it was before. You're, you, you're basing that on nothing. But if what you do, and there's a real subtle difference, if what you do is you notice, here's the idea of what I want to experience now, yes, borrowing from the past, but not trying to recreate the past, not trying to sit upon the past, not saying, well, it was like that before, why can't I have it now this way? Mm. But just realizing, oh, okay, this is, this, is, this is the right place for me right now. And it is. You don't always like it. But it is there for you. It's there for you specifically, but not personally. It's not attacking you. <laughs> so this woman is there specifically to help you, but not personally there to help you. And she's certainly not personally there to, get, to go after you, even though she may believe that you are essentially an existential threat to her ability to have a house that will then pay for her retirement, right. which is probably what's going on. It's probably something like that. Yeah. That you're just sort of like, what would be best is if you would just cut the checks and then move out yeah. and not live there, but still pay them. That would, that's probably her goal. Well, this, yeah. Not, she's yeah. Probably, not, probably not aware of that, but that's probably her goal. And she knows, even if she was aware of it, she knows it's completely ridiculous. But it would be nice to have sort of a tenant who is always out of town mm -hmm. and is never running the water mm -hmm. and doesn't have any children. Right. Etc. and doesn't have any pets and doesn't breathe air in the house because, mm -hmm. you know, but you can kind of, one of the things I'm noticing, like as this kind of conversation kind of bends in that direction is that when you begin to humanize another person, instead of seeing them as an object that you're in opposition to or having to deal with or having to manage, all sorts of things begin to change. You know, it's not about empathy, it's not about sympathy, although you could call it empathy. But it really is like, what, what really is this other person doing? Now, you're never going to really know. But the exercise of sort of asking, like, what is this, what, is, what, are, what do they think they're going to get out of this? And not in that sort of hands on hips, like, what do they think they're doing here? Mm -hmm. But more like, there's, awfully, there's obviously a tremendous amount of pain coming from this person. Yeah. What does she think she's going to get? Well, she's going to get a, a cushy 
secure retirement as long as you don't burn the house down. Mm -hmm. And that's, now I don't know that, but that's kind of what it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. When you look at it that way, that's, you're getting off the seesaw Mm -hmm. because that's not her will. And it's not, it's more like, yeah, there's this person who is really in a lot of pain. Now that doesn't mean, okay, so now you know what to do. It just means now you've got a broader perspective. Now you have a more open mind. And that means more possibilities can arise things that you haven't even occurred you haven't even thought of or haven't occurred to you yet yeah because now you're not trying to get her off your back and you're not trying to decide you know am i going to be the perfect tenant or am i going to be you know the person who is always being difficult mm-hmm. but i'm not really being difficult because you know and that has that seesaw goes back and forth and back and forth but when you get off of it and, and it, it's the key isn't like to think about the other person in this way this is just like an opening this is a possibility when you begin to sort of pull the camera back and you see more of the things that are going on, then more possibilities come into your mind about what you can do or what you can say. Because again, that text conversation, my being late, the way I replied to you, all of these things are there for you very specifically, not personal. Mm-hmm. And you may not like them, you may not like some of them, but they're all there for the same reason. And it's not, to, in my opinion, in my experience, it's not there to teach you a lesson. It's not there so that your soul can expand and you can ascend into the higher realms of the ninth ray of the third dimension of whatever <laughs> it is. But it's there because there's something practically useful right in that moment about what is happening. And that's why at the beginning of the conversation I was saying, you know, when this happens in uh, my work, Paul has basically taught me, if you will, although that's not really what it was, just showed me like, look at how much easier this is and how much easier it continues to be. If what you do is you realize it's not the fault of the phone company. It's not the fault of the conference call service. It's not the fact that you were stupid and didn't send the email. That's not what this is about because it's never about what you did wrong. And so in order to learn a lesson, you have to have done something wrong so that then you can fix it and do it right. Mm-hmm. And what Paul always says, and I completely agree with this, and it's and I can sometimes see it with almost everyone, not always, and I can sometimes see it with myself, but not always, is that you've never actually ever done anything wrong. You've just done things you didn't like and then <laughs> labeled them. Instead of saying, oh, the contrast there in that instant, when you notice, I don't like this, isn't now how can I fix myself to make sure I never do it again, which is what a lot of really smart people do. Mm-hmm. Having been taught the lesson of, you know, if you don't do the test right the first time, you'll have to go back and do it again. So you need to make sure that you don't have to do it again by doing it right the first time, yeah. which is really good for taking tests. But in terms of living a life, in my opinion, and in my experience, it's not a really good idea. Because you, you never want to be saying about yourself, although we do all of the time and it's in the culture, it's in the air and it's okay. But you never really want to, once you find, discover that this is what you're doing, you never want to say about yourself or another person, you don't know what you're doing. As in, you're lost or you are being sort of buffered by the wind or pushed around by situations or circumstances because none of those things are true. They can look that way. But they're never really like that. What's really always going on is that you are in the middle of an amazingly friendly universe that is not personal, but it is very specific. And it's very specific for you. And it's also specific for everyone else, but in ways that you'll never know. And that's also 
very clear to me. But, you know, in that light, if we think about this woman, your landlord, this amazing, brilliant woman who really has a probably a very amazing desire that she just doesn't really know how to be with. And she doesn't know how to let it flow for her. If you let her be okay with who she is, you be okay with who she is, not her herself. She'll change. Sometimes right in front of your very eyes. Hmm. So that's my dollar thirty-seven. Are you talking about me being okay with what she seems oh, yeah. to want to be doing, which is control? Yep. yep. Exactly. And from fear, out of fear, and just be okay with yep. the fact that she wants to control. Well, what, what are your? Well, what's interesting is what are your other options? Do you kill her? <laughs> because that's actually, if you really, really pay attention, that's actually usually where the idea of I have options of what I'm going to do about this person, it almost always, and it's very radical, and I, I know this isn't a nice new age thing to talk about, but what usually is happening is if you follow those thoughts, they usually end up with someone's going to have to die in order for this to be okay. Mm. That's almost always where they go, but no one has to die, right. obviously. Right. And the point is, is that most, when we're in that situation where, you mean I have to put up with her? That's actually not what I'm saying. But when we're in that situation where we're thinking, you mean I have to put up with this? Then we think we're going to die. Mm. Because eventually your will left out because it's competing wills, at least in this story, at least in this situation. Mm-hmm. But if you get off that seesaw and you're no longer opposing her and just letting her be whoever she is, she will change. Because part of the reason she continues to be, this is just basic metaphysics, part of the reason she continues to be who she is is because of the opposition you're offering her. Hmm. Not what you're saying and not what you're doing necessarily, although that can be part of it, but the, whole, the way you're holding her in your own mind. And, you know, to me also, and I'm jumping around a lot here, but the very bottom line of this is that if... With metaphysics, not with good coaching, not with, you know, being a, a really wonderful runner, not with being, a, you know, a smart nutritional counselor, but with metaphysics. If you have to go do something, it's not metaphysics. Because this is all happening in your mind. All of this is happening in your mind. And on the deeper level, your entire physical universe sits inside of your mind. Because this is your construction. But in a more practical level, the simplest thing to say is to be willing to sit in a chair like you're doing right now with her nowhere near to be seen and to say to someone else, yeah, I'm willing for her to be totally difficult and possible and mean. Mm -hmm. Willing, not wanting her to be. Yeah. But willing to let her be. Yeah. Something change. Because, again, if you think about it practically what are the other options other than some form of manipulation? The other option would be to say, I'm done with it. And, you know, which means you're going to leave and you're going to move. Yeah. Which doesn't or you're mean going necessarily to... I'm only moving now, like you said, because there's other people. Yes. But now, but now you get to suffer in silence. Right. Like you did for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And suffering in silence is a form of manipulation. Hmm. 
Because you're not taking action specifically in order to not rock the boat. You're trying to manipulate the universe to give you what you want. What if I put energy into the vision of what I want? That's wonderful. You see yourself having it and feeling it. Yeah. But you'll notice that when you do that, she's not going to show up anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you're still willing for her to be completely the way she is. Yeah. Because as a result of this, I mean, my husband's here and we're kind of having a conversation about this. And I said to him, I said, I think what we need to do is to sit down and really get, you know, clear on what it is, how we want, what, what we want, right. how we want to live. Right. Right. You know, and you could take that even further. It's not what you want. It's what you have. Because vibration comes first. Then mm. form takes the shape around that. Mm. And there, you know, I, I was saying before, like, it, it's really metaphysics. If action is required, it's not metaphysics. But to be clear, you will take action. Yeah. And you will take action in lots of different ways. You're taking action right now by breathing in and out, which is a functional aspect of your desire to be alive in a physical body. <laughs> and it's kind of important. You get four minutes and that's it if you don't breathe in and out. So it's an important thing. And also you have other physical things in there that like you maybe hold your breath for 30 seconds or half of, or a minute or a minute and a half before you go, okay, okay, I could take another breath because I really, really, really want one. Mm. So in other words, you're always taking action. The point here isn't about taking action, not taking action, letting the universe handle it for you, although that is really what we're talking about. But you will take action in the middle of all of this, like sitting down with your husband and visualizing. Yeah. If that's what pleases you. If that, and that's the other thing is like, if it's fun to do, then do it. And it probably <laughs> would be a lot of fun to sit down and imagine, you know, if we, if we could have sky high, if we could have anything, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And to play with that until you refine it down to what feels easy to get to. <laughs> or however you play with that, however you do that, you know, whatever that is. But you'll notice this landlord ain't going to be anywhere in that conversation. No. So you're letting her be who she is mm -hmm. while you're off doing what feels better to you, what feels right to you, what feels magnificent and expansive, what feels like a lot of fun because you're getting together and the two of you are sitting down and saying, okay, our castle is going to have 37 stories and we're going to have four dungeons and a moat or whatever it is that you're going to build, whatever it is that you want to create until you end up with like, yeah, we'll have a nice this or that, wherever it is that it turns out to be. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to be in there kicking the landlord in the shin. Yeah. So see how easy it is to just be willing to let something you don't like be what it is while you turn your attention to something you do like. Mm -hmm. You do it all of the time. Because if you, to, to really bring it down to the vulgar, if, you, if your husband is in the bathroom and you walk by the door and you're like, oh, I know what you're doing in there because I can smell it. You don't stand there and burn the bathroom down. <laughs> what you do is you just walk on by and realize that fortunately the movement of air in your house will take care of all of that and that it's temporary and it's also very natural. Mm -hmm. And so it's fine. But you don't stand there and bang on the door and say, stop doing what you're doing. You might say light a match, mm -hmm. but that's about it. <laughs> and if you'll notice what you're doing is you're willing to allow the house to stink for just a minute or two or three. But also you have confidence that it's going to change. And you can say because you've learned the lesson of the past, but the truth is, is that you have confidence that it's going to change and it does in the present moment. 
it dissipates mm -hmm. or chemically changes or whatever it is that happens to those chemicals. Mm -hmm. But you're willing, you're willing and see, see how easy this is because the other thing you're willing to do is also to have breathable air, which you have in abundance, which again is the single most important thing you ever do. If you don't do that, you can't do any of the rest of this. So this is all, you know, what I notice for myself is sometimes I sit down and I'm like, I have to be willing to have this thing I really don't like. And I take it on as a project. <laughs> but the truth is, actually what I'm really doing is I'm really already allowing things to be what they are. Can you and talk about that specifically? Because I feel like that's what's needed here. This is, you know, it's conceptual, but if you have a specific example of how that really got clear for you on how things are specific and not personal? Well, <laughs> I don't even really know where to begin other than, you know, the last seven or eight years of living my life where it's become very obvious that when I get out of the way and stop personalizing everything, things begin to work out for me. Um, but I mean, I've talked about this before. I think can't remember who I, and maybe I said it in the conversation we had prior about my mother in the courthouse. Yes, you did. Yes. Okay. That really is where all of this comes from because that is a conversation about willingness. And, and just to repeat it very quickly, many back in the eighties, when my sister, who's several years younger than I am, uh, was just like four or five years old, she was, my mother got a traffic ticket and a, a speeding ticket sorry. And she wasn't able to pay. Um, she wasn't able to pay it. So she went, so on the last day of the day before they were going to arrest her, she went to the courthouse and kind of sat on the steps and was like, okay, I'm willing. And this was based on things that other people had been showing her. I'm willing to be arrested, even though I have no idea what's going to happen with my daughter, how this is all going to work out. And when she walked in, the woman behind the counter who had always been very difficult and mean to her on the phone was suddenly bright sunshine Sally was just like, Oh, I'm so glad to finally meet you and blah, blah, blah. And don't worry about it. Come back on Monday. And when she went back on Monday, she was able to pay it and then it was all fine. Mm -hmm. But it was what she always said to me when I was like, I need this to be different and I need this to change is she was like, if you're willing to let it to be what it is. And if I said that right, if you're willing to allow it to be what it is, it will change. But the part of uh, what I notice for myself is that the part of me that is engaged with being on that seesaw, like if I was in your situation, fighting with the landlord, can't see that because I'm really convinced, and this is how thoughts work, I'm really convinced that the landlord is going to be who the landlord is, and I have to deal with it. Part of getting off the seesaw is being willing to say, I don't have to deal with this. I never have to deal with anything. It doesn't mean I won't deal with anything. It just means I never have to. And all the things I'm doing, I'm doing by choice. And that's to me, gets into the specific versus the personal. Like, you know, um, well, I'm sitting here in my car on the beach and there's a whole bunch of um, seagulls. And then there's the ocean right in front of me. And the ocean is about, I don't know, 25 feet from the car. But the tide is coming in. And I've, as we've been talking, I've been noticing like it's probably moved in about three or four feet. And if we sat here for another two hours or probably three hours, the tide would be pretty close to where the wheels are. 
but the ocean isn't attacking me. Now, we, everybody knows this. The, the ocean is impersonal. Mm-hmm. And if you're a sailor, if you spend any time out in the water or go swimming in it or go surfing in it or have anything to do with any of its inhabitants like sharks, you realize that they're just doing their thing. Yeah. The tides go the way they go and the motion of the ocean flows in the direction that it goes and doesn't have anything to do with you personally. But it is very specific when you're in the middle of the ocean and the ship that you're on is rocking and rolling. It's very specific to you because you're having to stand up, but it's not personal. That's obvious when you go to the ocean. You know, you take your child to the beach and the lifeguards are out there watching for riptides and they're blowing their horn whenever somebody goes too far out where the rip is too strong. And you tell your child, look, if you go, let's play, but let's only go to this point because if you go any further, the, the, you won't be able to stand up in the water. It'll just take you away. You're not, that's not a personal, the, the ocean is not trying to grab your child away from you. That's just how the ocean works. Mm-hmm. Okay. The alternative, this is the part that I think is the most significant. If you start thinking about what is the alternative, drain the ocean, alter the weather pattern so that every body of water is placid on planet Earth, which means <laughs> the Earth would be turning anymore and there would be no more wind. <laughs> what, exactly is the prop- what exactly is the proposition? And that's the thing that I think is very, very, po- it has been very powerful for me. What would I... Okay, so I don't want this to happen. Well, then what is my proposal on the seesaw? Not off of the seesaw, but on it. And like I said earlier, like if you really sit and think about it, it's kind of awful when you're trying to get someone else to behave differently. What you're really doing is attacking them. And what if you take it all the way out, it's murder. Hmm. Now, nobody... Well, that's not true. People do do this. And this is one of the reasons I believe that people do kill other people because they think they'll get what they want once the other person is dead. Hmm. Now that's very, very exaggerated and very extreme, but that is kind of where all of this goes. And when you like about 10 minutes ago or 15 minutes ago, however long it was when I was saying, when it kept coming up to me to say to you, you know, think about who this woman really is. She's just, she's looking at retirement. She wants to have a a, a nest egg. She and her husband are probably doing all sorts of strategic things to make sure that this works out really well. And like you said, they are getting it. If nothing else, they can sell it and then live on the interest mm-hmm. or whatever. So, but what she wants and what's very obvious, and again, I'm putting a lot of my assumptions in here so I could be wrong, but it appears that what she wants is a tenant who never is there. Right. She likes the cash, but she doesn't want to deal with the people because right. you're breathing the air of that house. Mm-hmm. And that's rearranging the molecule. And it probably is something like this. Yeah, no, that sounds very, very correct for other reasons, what you're saying, because of other yeah. things that she's demonstrated and said. You know, so that, that sounds correct. So if you think about how you win on that seesaw, she has to disappear right. or become a completely different person. Yeah. And you know enough about psychology to know that people don't become completely different people, mm-hmm. not in that way. Yeah. But this is where the magic of metaphysics happens. You get off of the seesaw and you begin to think about something that's broader than just the struggle you have with her. Like considering who she is and would be where she came from and why she's like this. I, there's, I will, uh, 
because I'm trying to think, will this person listen to this recording? Is this person is still alive? I don't think so. So I'll say this. I have a relationship with someone that has been since the almost the day that I met her, one of the most difficult relationships. In fact, probably the most difficult relationship in my life. And it's continuing. And we have gone through a lot together for lots of different reasons. But the real turning point for me was when I essentially decided to let her be who she was and stop being afraid of what that meant to me. Then all of a sudden, she changed. She didn't radically change. She didn't become this completely different person. But she did change. And this is a person I've known almost my entire life. It's my stepmother, essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, not essentially, practically, literally. Yes. <laughs> um, and she is, a, she is an amazing person. But one of the things that happened is her sister passed away about eight years ago. And when that happened, I felt like her sister, my aunt, came to me and started kind of whispering all these things in my ear. And one of the things that suddenly became obvious to me was that my stepmother comes from a family of orphans. And if you know anything about archetypes, you know, uh, Slade was just doing that, his thing about being the light bearer and the hermit. Well, the archetype that came up for me was the orphan, which isn't in the tarot, but um, the orphan who's also sort of a pioneer, her great grandparents had been, had uh, homesteaded some land not far from where I grew up and, and right where she grew up. And she still owns the land that her great grandparents homesteaded which is pretty astounding. And they came like they they came they came from two different countries, came into the US. One of them was on the west coast, one was on the east coast and they met in Texas. And then they got married and then they lived in a half dugout. I don't know if you know what that is, but you dig about 3 feet or 4 feet into the ground and then you build a house, a frame on top of that and you live halfway in the ground and it's actually very efficient for staying warm in the winter and cool in the summer. But they lived in this huff dugout most of their lives, most of their lives in Texas, until they were able to build an actual frame house. And that family, once I began, once like I began to let that thought take shape, and this happened over a matter of maybe an hour, all of a sudden I could see all of these other orphan aspects to the family. Like why this one, like my stepmother's mother had been abandoned as a child during the height of the depression, during the height of the Dust Bowl, also growing up in a half dugout. And her stories about that time are just horrible. You know, basically just listening to the wind and listening to like the pans outside being scoured by the dust, because that's the only way they had to clean the dishes. And just like this clanging sound of metal on metal that would just go on for hours and hours and hours. And her, her mother essentially got, um, there's a name for it, but it's kind of a, a reaction to the wind. And it was pretty common during that time period where people would just kind of go crazy. Mm-hmm. And she ran off and left my stepmother's mother just to her own devices with her father. And there was just the two of them. And I think she was like 12 when that happened. Your stepmother or your um, stepmother's mother? I, no, my stepmother's, my stepmother's mother. Okay. So it was like 1937 or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, um, so just awful, really, really, really awful. 
orphan, 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 orphan. So it made sense that she married into my stepmother's father's family. My father is also essentially, or was essentially an orphan. His mother abandoned him by dying when he was like 20 something. My mother abandoned him by sort of going nuts herself, which she would fully admit to. Uh, and from his perspective, which was always very obvious to me, once I began to, to think about it, he had been abandoned over and over again. Well, he moved in with these orphans and they like sucked him in. Because that's what, when orphans get together, that's what they do. They band together. Mm -hmm. Like um, in that, in Oliver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that's, they just, but I could never, have never, and will never be able to do that. Because when I get around them, I feel like a pioneer. I feel like I'm talking Carolyn my stuff here. <laughs> but um, I become a pioneer and I'm like, let's abandon the homestead. And they're like, no, we've hold, held on to this for 120 years in the middle of droughts and depressions and blah, blah, blah. You can't leave us. And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I'm already in San Francisco. <laughs> We're all pioneers eventually. And, um, and that caused a lot of friction, a, a lot of friction. They just never, it's in fact, I don't think that's ever really healed. That you were expecting However, to stay there? When I kind of thing. Wow. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. At least in Texas, mm -hmm. because Texas is its own country, if you don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, it, but, but that was just the archetypal dynamic. Okay, that's all very interesting. The key here is not that I came up with all this archetypal information. It's that I began to have these broader thoughts and started being a little bit more allowing of these people to be who they are mm -hmm. and who they were. Mm -hmm. That's that true, like because I feel I feel like the personal threat, you know, of her being who she is. It's like I feel it in my body. It feels like a threat to me and my. But that's experience just projecting that idea. Yeah, right. yeah, that, yeah. But that's that idea. Yeah. So if what you do is you stand back, you let her just be who she is, because she's like the miser. She just like speaking of archetypes, she yeah. just wants to hold on to everything. Mm -hmm. And you let her be who she is. She's not going to stop being a miser. Right. But she might be less miserly in your presence. Mm -hmm. but, the, uh, but there's another completely different possibility here. You might end up finding another house to rent that's cheaper in a better neighborhood that you like more. Right. Or it might turn out that one of your neighbors is actually renting and you didn't know and they need to leave because they've been called to somewhere to go work somewhere else to do something different. You yes. don't know. You really don't know. I don't. This is where the magic comes in. Because when you get willing to let her be who she is, everything changes. Mm -hmm. I know and that you it's know not personal. Person. Like, whatever she, she's got no. going on, it's, it's not personal to me. <laughs> it's not personal. And that, and that your willingness to let it not be personal, but to realize it's actually quite specific, the way that she sort of... You obviously want something better. Yeah. And so her sort of biting away and sort of like grabbing away and doing all the little things that she's doing is very specific for you because it's helping you get clear about that. True. To me, this would just be fabulous. And I'm, this, I'm making this a little bit personal. But the idea of like sitting down with my husband and saying, okay, what are we going to create? Mm -hmm. That sounds like a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah. And particularly when you're like, you know, because we're not, limited to anything we can go as high as we can imagine and then we'll feel our way and again this is me not you but then we'll feel our way into what feels easy to get to mm -hmm. but first let's fly yeah. 
see what happens, see what it feels like, see what we find, what we discover. Well, um, I'm sort of changing the subject just a little bit, but I, I do want to sort of throw this in really quick. One of the things that has happened in my motel experience has been how much I realize I love cozy. Mm-hmm. And I've always, always, always dreamt of like a big, huge house on the ocean with like lots of light, which is, that's still wonderful. But the truth is I really like cozy. I really like like a little two bedroom with a fireplace that's kind of intimate and small and just feels really cozy. And I had no idea I felt that way Mm -hmm. until I spent the last couple of years living in this motel, which Mm -hmm. is not that large. And it's just been fabulous, that realization. And it's very silly. It's very, very silly. But it has changed the way that I imagine things. And I'm not, I, I'm actually quite content with not having a mortgage or even a deed. I'm very happy with having, being in a place exactly where I am. And that took me about a year. But it wasn't because I was working really hard to do it. It just all of a sudden I woke up one morning and realized, oh, I really like this. This is actually really right for me. And then I suddenly was aware, oh, it's always been right for me. <laughs> I mean, ever since I've had it, it's always been right for me. It was right for me the minute I walked in. And in fact, I had a vision, uh, it, very silly, but I had a vision about the place where I'm living. And I had been in Fort Lauderdale and I was driving up the coast and I kept seeing the image of this, the sign. And I was just, and it just kept coming to me and I walked up and, and I'd never stayed there and I'd always wanted to because I liked the name. And they were just wonderful. And then I kept staying and staying, staying. And, and now, you know, it's fabulous. And I may move tomorrow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, is that all of these things shift because you're willing. They all change. And putting out opposition to something, trying to get rid of it, is going in the direction of having more of it. Mm-hmm. But when you do what you're proposing to do, which I think is fabulous, sit down and imagine, okay, where do we really want to go? Because you have all sorts of data, mm-hmm. as Abraham would say. You have all sorts of data about how you like this kind of neighborhood. You know, you listed it out in the yeah. early part of the conversation. You just keep cultivating those thoughts and keep putting your attention on them. And again, you will take action. You'll know what to do. Because it's not about just visualizing and then walking away from it. Although that may be one of the things you end up doing. But, you know, it's not a a matter of like visualize and then it all just happens because you're sitting on the couch eating bonbons. Although some people actually do really well when they sit on the couch and eat bonbons. And I happen to be one of them. (laughs) So I don't like bonbons anymore unless they're like 90% dark chocolate. (laughs) But um, I, but I used to really, really, really worry about that, but I've become very aware that I do a lot better when I just don't care. Because mm. I have very intense, powerful desire that when, when I try to focus in action, it doesn't go well. So to kind of come all the way back to the beginning, when I saw your message, I had about two seconds of shame and guilt. And then I asked myself, what, is, what am I supposed to do here? What, what's easy for me to do? What, what feels better? And I realized I would just pack up my stuff and go get on the call. I'm right by the beach. It's, it's a fabulous day. Like, what could be better than sitting here on a, 
call having a delicious conversation with you. That would just be fabulous. <laughs> and then I had another two seconds of worrying about what you were going through. And I thought, oh, she'll tell me if she needs to tell me. It's none of my business. <laughs> yeah. And you did. Yeah. And then I thought, and then the third thing that happened was I thought, well, what am I going to say? Because I do live in American, well, North American culture, and we do have to explain these things. We can't just show up and say, oh, I'm here finally. <laughs> and I came to me was to say what I didn't hadn't really, really ever realized, which is if I don't, just me, has nothing to do with anyone else. If I don't know where I'm going to be at what time, and I have to know both of those, I don't put it in my calendar. But that's from years of having clients. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I... I have clients several several times a week, and so I have a, a process that I follow, and that had its own little opening. Like, oh, I might do this a little bit differently. I don't know. I might. I don't know. Hmm. But that's what came to be to say. And I thought, okay, yeah, there we go. And then, as I was driving down the beach, I was like, I can't wait to get on this call and look at all these birds and watch the water because I haven't done this actually since December, and it's kind of exciting. That was beautiful. So for me, this worked out really, really well. <laughs> um, but there's my $7.37. Yeah. And so I, I do believe that, you know, whatever whatever I, I'm going to do after this conversation, and, you know, I I trust that because we've had it, it's, it's what I, hmm, it's serving me. Can I, you, can I give you just one little piece of advice about that? Yeah. But you can tell me no. Yeah. You don't have to say yes. Yeah. Okay. And you don't have to give me a Canadian yes either. Like, of course I'm going to say yes because we never say no. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Feel free to make fun of Texas at any moment and Florida. <laughs> oh, you don't even sound like you're from Texas. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I lived in New York City, and when you live in New York City, you learn to not sound like you're from anywhere. You don't sound not... like you exactly, right? Right. You sound like you're from Chicago. <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul says something very interesting about the word trust. They'll say, we never really suggest that you trust or have confidence or faith. Because they'll say... If you'll notice, you never actually trust anything in the moment. You're either doing something or you're not doing it. Hmm. And if you're doing it, then it's fine. And if you're not doing it, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Trust, confidence, and faith are sort of like, and I know for myself, when I was growing up in the Methodist church, which is not really, this was before they became what they are now, but when it was very boring and very Protestant. But the idea of faith was a, something to build up. Like, it's a tool. It's like a foundation upon which I'm going to build a house. And in fact, that's scriptural. So what Paul says is faith, trust, and confidence are always seen in the rearview mirror. You actually never directly experience them. The rearview mirror may be two or three seconds behind, but you never directly experience it because you're either engaged with what you're doing or you're not. So what I've discovered, what I've, dis and, it's, and it sounds like semantics, and it really isn't, but take this or leave it. I don't say I trust or I have faith. I don't say that anymore. I just say this is what's happening. This is all working out. It's just really clear. This is all working out. Even if I'm not clear about it, even if I feel like I'm lying to myself, 
I just decide to say, when it comes up, oh, this, there's something happening here, even if I can't see it. There's something really good happening here. So that's my little bit of advice. Yeah. Thank you, Seth. Even if you feel that it's not working out, I mean, if the feelings are in opposition to that thought, even. Then it's time to sit down and feel into that. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And let it be okay that I have this, like, this is not working out. This is not, and I'm going to curse. This is not working out. Fuck this, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. And sometimes, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. The other, <laughs> the other day I was at, um, I was somewhere. I was out at, at a Starbucks somewhere. And um, there was this person who kind of walked by me and I just, for some reason, I took it very personally, whatever it was that they did. They didn't really do anything, but I just decided to take it personally. And it, I didn't say this out loud. I was just sitting there like looking at my computer screen and thinking, well, fuck you and fuck you and fuck the horse we're in it. And that suddenly felt so much better. And I realized I had personalized it. And by getting so ridiculous, by accusing this person of doing something they had never done, <laughs> broke, broke the spell. It just was like, you know, it, whatever it was probably reminded me of something that someone had said to me a long time ago or had done, or I don't know. Yeah. But it, and I can't even remember what it was, and I can't even really remember who the person was or why they were there or what was going on. It just was felt better to kind of get into it inside of myself, within myself, and sit there and sort of growl at the person until the growling just was like, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I've ne that's never, sometimes it takes longer than a few seconds, but that's never not happened. The willingness to feel bad is as important, I think, as the willingness to feel good. Because trying to manage emotion is where things get all messed up. Trying to manage vibration, trying to manage you know, how you're visualizing something, trying to manage how you're dealing with somebody. If everything is happening for you, if this is an ultimately friendly universe and everything is happening for you and everyone there is there to help you specifically, even if they're being horrible, hateful people, then what is there to manage? I'm realizing something's just coming to me as you're talking here. And so it's a sentence that I shared with a friend recently from our last conversation when I asked you about, well, financial freedom. And you said that the financial freedom came from your willingness to be broke. Right. Yeah. And I feel Stay like in, in this particular situation with me, it's that. Your willingness to have the, the landlady from hell is your key to living in the most amazing house you've ever lived in with yeah. the most amazing neighbors you've ever had with the most amazing school for your child, which may be the very house you live in right now. Right. But that's the key. And that's how this woman is very specifically helping you. Because she's giving you the ability, the opportunity, the option the possibility of sitting down and saying, this is the reality we have. Mm -hmm. We live in a wonderful house and we have wonderful neighbors and we have a wonderful landlord. And who knows, maybe your neighbors will suddenly realize, you know, maybe it's time to cash out of the market. 
or maybe they'll realize, you know, this would be so much simpler if we had a rental agency. Mm-hmm. And then they could deal with all this stuff. Yeah. Who knows? But yes, this woman is this woman is definitely there to help you in some very specific way. That's the other thing that Paul says. It's like the inten- the more intense the intensity is, the more there is possibility. Mm-hmm. Because that intensity is actually your desire coming through her to you. It's like I, I just had this sort of flash of insight alongside the whole thing about when I shared to you about the financial freedom and willingness to be broke, I asked myself, like, what, what does this feel like? And I mean, it, it feels like I'm in a dungeon and she holds the key, right? And I have to do things in a specific certain way and I have no freedom and no choice. That's right. That's the one side of the seesaw. Yeah. Yeah. That's a seesaw where you're submitting your will to her. Yeah. And that's... But the thing is... Yeah. Go ahead, sir. No, that's what this is. This is what... The feeling that I have in my body right now is that. So it's good to know. And if you take it... If you take stock in physical terms, you'll see that, of course, it's not at all what's going on. Right. And which doesn't dis, dis, that doesn't mean anything about whether the feeling is valid because this isn't about whether feelings are valid. All feelings are valid. There, nothing arises emotionally that isn't there for some very specific reason. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not there to teach you a lesson. It's there for the opportunity. That's my opinion, and that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. And when I got out of the lesson learning business. All sorts of shit got a lot easier. I'm not sure I, I, I'm clear on lesson versus opportunity. Well, if the whole point of you having a landlady who is really just hateful mm-hmm. is for you to learn how to be more generous mm-hmm. or yeah. insert appropriate new age word, mm-hmm. that's you can do that. But you'll notice it's like, if you notice just even imagining that, it's like there, here's a mountain to climb. Because mm-hmm. I need to learn how to grit my teeth and I need to learn how to listen and I need to learn. And you don't need to learn how to do anything. But if this person is showing up in your reality and is showing you, you have a very powerful, this is the way I see this, and you, this language may not apply to anyone else. You have a very powerful opportunity to decide the house you really want to live in. Mm-hmm. And you may very well end up saying, this is that house. Mm -hmm. Something will change. But see, learning a lesson is a form, again, it's a form of manipulation because you're, what what, what is the basis culturally for learning lessons? It's the educational system, which there's nothing wrong with. It's school. And you're rewarded because it, well, this is the other thing that I noticed. Is that this, this is not a question for people who weren't grade A students or whatever the equivalent is in Canada. This is not a question for people who didn't have the highest marks. The people who have the highest marks, the people who were always striving to be at the top of the class, such as myself, this is a really big deal. If I'm not learning lessons, then I, there's nothing valid about what I'm doing. Because the whole point is that this is a school. I'm learning. But this isn't a school. It's a place that has schools. But it isn't a school. And this, again, my opinion, my experience. 
this is a place uh, this is a place that's here for the delight of being here and it's mostly populated with that there's mostly just delight going on there's very little of all the rest of it if you really notice if you take stock and take a survey of your physical reality you yourself not anyone else's but you you'll notice that that's exactly what's happening this woman is a thorn in your side but most of the, most of the time it's your child out in the middle of the courtyard playing in the big mound of snow and going to the amazing school and you having wonderful social interactions with your amazing neighbors. That's mostly what's going on. And you living in a house that you really love. Mm -hmm. That's mostly what's going on. But when you take something, you make it a lesson. Then you're, if you remember, you always got to study hmm. because you never know when the next test is coming up <laughs> and you better prepare now. And you could, if you listen to good, and I mean this in a very gentle way, if you listen to really good new age stuff, this is what is always being talked about. Did you learn the lesson? If you didn't, you're going to have to learn it again. Right. And I, that was actually a very relieving thought for me for a long time. But after a while, I began to realize, then this never ends. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to die, hopefully having learned all the lessons and gotten all the diplomas and gotten all the certificates and all the gold stars and all the blue ribbons. But I don't think they let you take those with you when you go. <laughs> so it's like the whole point here is to be really wealthy. You can be really wealthy. You can have a constant life of education. There's it, nothing wrong with any of this. Mm -hmm. But living as though this is the elemental aspect of reality that you must master is what really, to me, this comes down to. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to really revel, if nothing else, if nothing else, in how amazing your life is already. That will, that's, and that's not for nothing. That isn't just like, oh, is that nice? No, that actually has a very real impact on your physical reality, which will bend itself in that direction as you continue to do it, as you take action that supports that, as you say things that stand behind that. Mm -hmm. But not because you took action, not because you said something, but because you made the decision and then allowed yourself to be helped. <laughs> by the specific actions and words that came to you to do and to say. Mm. Not the personal ones. Mm. Not the ones where you have to get it right or else you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> so that's it. Okay. Again, these are my, my opinions and my experience, but I don't really know that they apply to anyone else. Well, I'm feeling some relief. I, I think that there's probably still some it would be worthwhile for me because there's still some residue feeling in me to, to allow myself to feel that maybe not in the context of this call, but afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a lot easier than what I was doing. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, one of the things you might want to notice also about that is that there's a lot of movement here. And there's lots of moving pieces and not just the up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and back and forth and back and forth. That when you get narrow like that, when you're just focused on what she said and what she did, those are always, I really try to use those as really good clues. Okay, this is a time to take a deep breath and realize I'm on a seesaw again. Mm -hmm. And I have just decided for whatever reason that this is the way it is and this is the only way it is and this is the only thing that can be dealt with and handled and managed. And I'm completely forgetting the fact that I'm standing in the middle of an amazing snowfall, or I'm standing in the middle of a wonderful thunderstorm, or I'm standing in the middle of an amazing field of flowers. 
I'm like, what did she do? And what did she say? And how did she do it? And why did this happen? Mm -hmm. That expansion, that openness, the willingness to see things from a slightly different perspective, it does so many things. Yeah. There's so, it becomes much more expansive. And the, the way Paul puts it that I really love, they'll say, let's back up and let's give this, this thought a lot more room instead of trying to confine it into a box. Let's let it take over everything and find out what it does. And that happens in a second or two or three. It's, that's not like for the rest of your life. And, you know, which is a lot of people are afraid of that. Mm -hmm. That if you just let yourself run with a thought, you will end up, you know, running down the street with a knife in your hand, running amok. But that never happens. The only people who ever do that are people who have boxed themselves in so tightly. This is their only choice. Mm -hmm. But when you are consciously saying, oh, I'm going to let myself feel like shit, things change. Mm -hmm. And they change within you first, and then the outer will follow. Right. The sense of relief. Yeah. And for me, it feels like to get to the relief, I have to feel what I feel. Well, you may. You do right now. Yeah. That could change. Yeah. Because there's no lesson here. Right. You're not learning a lesson. You're not learning a practical application of thought. Yeah. You're just giving yourself a break. Mm -hmm. You're just opening up and allowing things to move. Wow. And then we make it so much more difficult than it is. <laughs> well, because, you know, it's funny because I noticed the people that, that I work with um, are like finishing their third PhD and, you know, was a high level lawyer that worked on XYZ case and really, really, I mean, and you know, people who didn't finish high school, but are just really smart. And I don't know why that is. And it doesn't matter, but I've never ever had a client who wasn't just brilliant in, in the ways that the world would say is brilliant, which I just find amazing. But what it has revealed to me for myself is how smart we are is has a lot to do with the amount of complexity that we're willing to dive into. The, the thing is, is that if I'm trying to decode DNA strand, complexity is really helpful. If I'm trying to build a steamship, complexity is my friend. Even if I'm trying to bake a cake, understanding the chemical reaction between a leavener and, you know, milk is an important aspect of things. But when it comes to living my life, not these projects like steamship building or cake baking or, you know, decoding DNA or RNA strands. If I, what I'm trying to do is actually just be here in my life and have something that feels better because it feels better in the having, it's actually extremely simple. Mm. And all those complex thoughts about how you have to temper steel in order to build a steamship, those were all done just one thing at a time. They're just the accumulation of knowledge and skill manifested in a piece of steel. Well, that's great. You don't have to go back and mine the ore in order to create the steel and temper it yourself. You don't have to go out and grow the wheat in order to bake a cake. There are all sorts of shortcuts that are there for you to use. In physical reality, it's an accumulation of all sorts of ideas that come together in really amazing ways that are very specific. In the metaphysics of the mind, everything is doing one thing, expanding. When we feel pain, what we're doing is putting ourselves in opposition to that expansion. That's why it hurts. Hmm. 
Complexity is great for physical reality, objects. But even then, even then, someone who really, really understands the dynamics of steel manufacturing would say, oh, this is really simple. Because, of course, it's very simple to them. And any farmer would say, oh, you'll get a cake in six months out of the, those seeds. Don't worry. It'll take care of itself. They're very clear about that because they're familiar with it. But meanwhile, you have at your disposal an entire grocery store full of like 17 brands of flour hmm. and 37 different kinds of leavener and 14 different kinds of butter <laughs> and nine different kinds of chocolate. And you have all of these possibilities, vanilla from the four corners of the world. You have all of these things at your disposal to bake a cake. You want to make a chocolate cake. You can do it right now. It's really easy. But it, part of the reason it's easy is because everyone else involved has actually done what was right to go pick the cacao beans and to go grow the wheat and to put it into sacks and load it on a truck. And everyone just did one thing at a time. That's how you got this amazing cake. That's how everything works. But when you bring conscious application of metaphysical thought, when you're really paying attention to what things feel like and then letting yourself amplify that by just noticing how wonderful it is, like, I love this house. Mm. I love that snow pile. I love listening to the screams of all the kids as they're jumping up and down in the snow or whatever it is that kids do in snow. When, when you do that, you're amplifying because all thoughts go out. Mm -hmm. They don't ever shrink. They don't ever contract. That contraction is a temporary application of will against who you really are that you were trained to do. Everybody was trained to do this. The minute you told your child to sit down and be quiet so you would feel better, you were training your child to do this. Because at that moment, the child wanted to express itself by screaming and running around and whooping. And you had a headache, and it felt better to you to say, would you sit down and be quiet for five minutes or go into another room or do something different? Just like someone did with you. And that's where the complexity comes from. Because then it becomes, if you do this, then I'll feel that way. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, farmers don't do that when they're farming. They might do it when they're sitting down and calculating their taxes. Mm -hmm. But when they're farming, they just know you put the wheat, the seed into the ground, and you do this and this and this, and it works. Except when it doesn't. And then there's what you do then. But it's all very simple. Meanwhile, there's bags and bags of flour at your disposal should you want to make a cake. Mm -hmm. Or even better, there's probably an astonishingly delicious cake within a five-block radius of where you're standing right now that's available for purchase. <laughs> All of that is there for you specifically. The flour is there if you wanted to bake a cake, if that feels like something delicious to do. Or the cake is there at the local bakery or a pie or a little scone or just a cup of coffee, all of which are, if you had to do them on your own, would be very complex, but you're letting other people do them for you. That's, you know, that's really what this entire conversation has been about. You're letting this woman be the landlady from hell. Mm -hmm. You're letting her help you right now clarify where you really want to live. Mm -hmm. 
And I, now it's it's a strange thing for me, okay? But I feel that for whatever reason, that I don't even know why, and I don't know how, but this whole conversation serves the original intention was to, which was from my last episode where it was just me talking, episode 15, Transparent. Which was awesome, by the way. Thank which you. Which was awesome. Thank you. That... This has something to do with, with the question about target market. And I, I can't imagine what, but I know it does. <laughs> oh, no, to me, that's all the, it, the same idea applies. You yeah. let them, and this is exactly what Paul would say. Because when I was listening to you talk about that, I kept hearing them have, they had little comments, some of which were coming back. I mean, but, you know, I hear them all the time anyway. But what they would say about target market is, you are their target market. <laughs> and so you let them show themselves and they will if you can let your landlady who you are tightly wound up with because of housing and you know it's very root chakra elemental stuff here yeah. right it's where you live if you can allow your landlady to be who she is you can allow your clients to be who they are your listeners to be who they are and let them find you that doesn't mean don't do anything. You may end up doing things that look very much like practicing the art of target marketing. Right. But if you are letting it happen and you're just doing what's easy and simple to get to, you're going to find that all these things will fall into place for you. You also may find that you end up really discarding the entire idea of target marketing altogether and realize you just don't really give a fuck. Right. But that could be a starting point for some people. I mean, it's real for me in another aspect right now, not just for me and my work, but because I'm in the process of supporting and helping a friend who's also a client um, on this very topic where he's redoing a website, right? And we're having a conversation. And I, my last thing, and intuitively guided to ask him to look at who his clients have been. And I know you say it doesn't matter what's happened in the past, but I feel like in this case, it does. Because, well, that's borrowing. Yeah, because you're yeah. borrowing from the past. You're using the past as a tool. Yeah. But not relying on the past to be the thing that tells you what to do. Right. Two different things. Right. So I felt, I just felt it would be helpful for him to really look at that and see where the money came in and what the profile was of the people that, you know, where most of the stuff is, where most of the money has come from. Right. right. I, I felt like it was a powerful thing for him to do. And he really took it on in great detail. And well, and there's I, actually the proof right there. Yeah. Right. Because he wanted to do it. He did it. He went in deep into it. Yeah. And I do How, feel that uh, when we look at it and I, I haven't talked to him about it because he said, if you have any more questions, let me know. And I know that this has served him this process for sure. Right. Um, I do feel our direction is then creating the site based on the clarity about who has paid him the most money and the fact that he's actually, that's what he really likes to do. <laughs> okay. So here's the difference between learning a lesson and using, seeing things as an opportunity. Okay. If you take that exact same thing that you just said so clearly and so brilliantly, and you wrote a book about it, that would be learning a lesson. And that may be exactly right, but no one is ever going to benefit from that experience the way that person did mm -hmm. because you said the right thing let me try that again. There's Texas right there. You said the right thing at the right time in the right way to the right person. 
specific, 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 nothing personal. Mm -hmm. You said the right thing at the right time in the right way to the right person, and it felt right to you. Mm -hmm. So what really, from my perspective, what really happened was you just followed your own intuition. Yes. And you let him, the other thing that, I, because I, I have a feeling this means something to you, and I could be wrong, so take it or leave it. But the other thing that you did is what you didn't do. You didn't sit down with him and go through his client past. You gave it to him to run with or not. Mm -hmm. And if he'd come back to you the next week or whenever and said, you know, that didn't really interest me, you would have just moved on. Right. But I suspect that there probably was a time in the past when you actually would have sat down and held his hand and said, this is what you need to do and I'm going to do it with you to show you how important it is. Mm -hmm. That's supreme lesson learning. Mm -hmm. That's like a tutor, mm -hmm. which is really good when you're trying to learn Russian. Not so good when what the person is really doing is saying, I'm hiring you to help me open up to what I really want, mm -hmm. which is what they do, right? Yeah. Because they can have what they want. That's your thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So he's having what he's wanting. And he got many different... As soon as you said that, I was like, I could immediately see all these different things he got out of it. And again, these could just be my projections. But one of them is that he got to dive deep into the deliciousness of his past. Mm -hmm. And he probably got an opportunity to realize how much he had that he probably wasn't looking at before. Because if you, here's the other thing is if you build a website or write a book or record a conversation or paint a piece of art, you, you, you put the intention to get something out of it, you're, you might be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But if what you put in it is what you have, which sounds like that's exactly what he's doing, here's what I have and here's what delights me and here's what feels right to me, becomes magic, magic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're not trying to get anything. You're just having it. He has the abundance of the high-flying clients. Yes. And he now notices it and recognizes it, and that's what you said. He, he realized that's the way he likes to operate. Mm -hmm. These are the people he wants to work with. Yeah. And for reasons that probably have very little to do with money. Mm -hmm. But it has to probably with their willingness to invest. That would be my guess. Sure. Invest time, not money. Money is symbolic what people who are willing to spend money really, really, really give, this has been my experience, when they're really giving time, that's when they're really in it. Because the money is the easy part. Time to them is probably the part that's the most difficult, mm -hmm. which then means it's more valuable to them, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just the specific thing here. And the, see, that's the thing. This is about the specific instance of what you said specifically to him specifically. Nothing of, like this, the, to me, the only thing that is discernible about all of this is the fact that you paid attention to your intuition. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's yeah. the heart of it. Yeah, it and is. Then he, mm -hmm. And he did the same thing. He jumped in because he heard what you said and felt it and realized there was something right about it. And then he dove deep. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm making all sorts of assumptions. No, no, you're absolutely correct. And then he basically came back to me with more strength in what he said before, which what he thought and less sort of uncertainty about 
well, maybe I should be doing this and doing, you know, for everybody to like, well, it's clear this is where my money's come from and this is what I really want to do. Am I mistaken? Did you not say on the, the, the podcast you just, the one that you did where it's just you, mm-hmm. that you're about helping other people have what they want? Did yeah. you not? Or am I making that up? I'm not sure that I said it, but I know I've heard that really recently. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I have too, but I really associate it with you, and I don't oh. know. I, I, but I'm like, I, when I try to figure out where I got that factually, I can't place it. Right. But I just want to. But I want to say that. I just I want to say that to you, which is, I think you're very good at doing that, and I don't really know you, yeah. not in the way of like, oh, and I've worked with you for years and years. Right. But it, it, that's what feels like you're actually doing, and that's what that thing was. The other thing, the other thing that Paul always says to to healers, teachers, coaches, you know, whatever you want to call, they'll always call them healers because that's really what this was all about. But they'll say, what you're really doing is creating a space to allow the other person to have what they want, mm. which mostly means getting out of the way a lot. <laughs> now, for me, that's really obvious. I'm a channel, and my my by definition, my job is to get out of the way. So that's, to me, like, this is a Mm no-brainer. But it's interesting in the instances when I can remember what people have said in response to that. Almost everyone who really is a healer immediately says, oh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm letting this happen through me. Absolutely. For them. Yeah. And it's very specific for them, and it's very specific for me. The other thing that Paul will say about that is that the first person who benefits the healer, or rather, the first person who is benefited by the healing that the healer offers mm-hmm. is the healer. Right. And if it's not the, if you're not the primary beneficiary, you're not, if you're trying to get them to get something, to do something, you're off track. Yeah. It's okay. It, it, there's no loss there. It's just that it's much more powerful when you stand back and let it happen through you. And realize you have no real, you really, no matter how many good tools and techniques you have, which you will probably use, you really have no idea at all what you're really doing. Hmm. Which is not a statement of resignation or, you know, anything like that. It's a statement of, I have no idea because this is so much bigger than I can conceptualize. Absolutely. I want to share an example from my own life on this point because... I've, you know, in my career has not been a a straight path. And, you know, maybe I'll talk more about that on the podcast at some point. But I just feel like saying, in one of the careers that I had, I, without going to school for it, without taking the ABCD way through it, right, which is the way that we're taught that we need to do it. um, I became a I had a design business and I became a landscape and interior designer and uh, event garden designer and person that implemented all those things with a partner and then later on my own. But what in that work, um, when I got a call from a client and they wanted me to do something that I had Absolutely. And I know you can relate to this, Frank, because you talked about this in our conversation about everything is always working out, right? Um, That when you were doing the project manager work and you weren't trained, blah, 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 whatever that was. um, I didn't have any official training for this, but I had the heart to do it. And, and, And I knew that when I got a call from a client and it seemed like there would be things that I would need to do for them that I had no clue how to do. I drove to the meeting saying, 
I have, I already have exactly, this client wouldn't be there if I didn't have exactly what they needed from me. <laughs> right? So that's I, exactly right. Right. So I would inevitably show up at their place and open up. And it, of course, you know, I, I say it as channeling whether I was, and I believe, yes, I was healing because that's part of my essence. Yeah. Right. right. Um, be just showing up there. I know it was doing something for them standing there in their garden. I was doing something saying nothing. I was doing something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and whatever questions they'd have of me, I would have an answer. And when I didn't have an idea, conceptualized approach of how I would do this, it, I just made it up and it worked. And I would be amazed and surprised when I'm thinking about certain event gardens that I did and I would have access to X, Y, and Z materials and other things would come in and ideas would come in and I could access this and that and whatnot. Um, and I would do that work and it would be maybe a several day project or installation or something like that. Well, I gather all this stuff. I start doing the work and the next day I'd come in there and I'm like, it's like the fairies had done something. It wasn't even me. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, uh -huh. I hadn't done anything except yep. show it up and maybe move things around. But I right. had no idea what I was doing. And yet somehow this amazing thing happened. Well, that is, I just love that. The, the, the thing that Paul talks about a lot is what beginner's luck really is, is the willingness to not know what it is that you think you're supposed to know. <laughs> if you're a beginner, you don't know what you're not supposed to know because you don't know what you're supposed to know. But if you've been trained to do something, you have a knowledge base that you're supposed to be drawing from, and there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And one of the ways that you know that is because you've been educated and graded based upon what you did right and did wrong, yes. which trained you to do things the right way and not the wrong way in order to avoid getting something wrong, blah, 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 blah. What you did is you're like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, which I just, I'm absolutely in love with this story, by the way. <laughs> you. you have no, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to do what's right in front of me. And you did. And amazing things happened out of it. Yeah. So wonderful. So delicious. And so this has something to do with target market, doesn't it? It does. Because they're, your client, what Paul would say, and I absolutely agree with this from my own personal experience, you are not there to serve your clients. You are going to serve them. But that's not your job. Your job is to let them show up and serve you which is not narcissistic and it's not selfish and it's not self-centered. It's what it is, is if you're not the primary beneficiary of your interactions, if you don't like what you're doing, in other words, don't do it, mm. which is what it sounds like you were doing mm -hmm. because it didn't occur to you. Oh, there's this thing you have to do that everybody knows you have to do. And so I'm going to do it, but I don't really want to do it. Right. You didn't do any of that. No. You just did or didn't do according to what occurred to you. Yeah. Which to me sounds like intuition. Mm -hmm. Oh, it absolutely was purely. Yeah. Purely. So, your clients are there to serve you in the same way that when you have a coach, a doctor, a healer, a anybody that you hire, you're, you're there to be part of the experience. And you, if you, to me, one of the ways you know this beyond knowing is if you've ever, ever, ever been a tarot card reader, <laughs> which I know everybody has, no. <laughs> the, the year that I spent, well, I spent more than that, but I spent about four months doing it very intensely and giving readings to a lot of drunk people, which is itself its own amazing experience. What you discover is that when somebody shows up with their arms crossed, they don't have to have their arms crossed, but with their arms crossed 
and they're like, show me, show me, show me, they get nothing. Mm-hmm. But if somebody walks in and they're like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this. All of a sudden it just flows and flows and yeah. flows and flows and flows because they're willing to have it. They're an open vessel. They're willing to receive what's being offered. Now, the fortunate thing, because that was that was like an amusement. I was like sitting in a little shop on a street in a high-traffic high tourist town. So people would go get drunk, and they're like, oh, let's go get our car and thread. So I don't have clients who just walk in off the street. That doesn't happen anymore. So I don't really experience that. But I do remember what that felt like when I could see them walking in, and I was like, I wanted to say, turn around and go get a refund. You're not going to like this reading. (laughs) The one time that that was really, really, really obvious, the most significant was there was a couple Canadian, because this is up in the Northeast of the U.S. There was a Canadian couple that walked in, and he was apparently very wealthy and famous, which was obvious to me. I could kind of see, um, at the time, I would have said there was like a lot of... um, uh, Leo around him. Mm-hmm. It just was really obvious. And his hair was very Leo. Right. He may have been a Leo. I don't I know. But I just was like, this is a famous person who was very accustomed to being treated in a certain way. And when he sat down, all the cards were like, your relationship is in a fucking lot of trouble because they did a reading together. And I said that. I didn't say it like that. Mm-hmm. If I said it like that, it probably would have been a different experience. Mm-hmm. But they were both, they both spent then the next 20 minutes telling me how it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the more they talked, I was like, oh, wow. This is really, this is scary. This mm-hmm. is like really, like I like kind of wanted to look at the woman like, maybe you need to leave him right now. Because <laughs> um, like there's something really wrong here. And there was, it did feel very wrong. Yeah. Finally, when they just were like, is that it? Is that the reading? And I was like, yeah, the reading is there's, you need to go talk to a counselor. You need to talk to a therapist. That was very obvious. I think there was even a card that came up that was like, that I always interpreted as that kind of, um, that kind of archetype rising up in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I tried to give them their money back. Now, if he was a millionaire, he was like 40 bucks. That's like nothing, yeah. right? But even then, later, when I went to go eat lunch, I passed them on the street. And I said, I would, I really, really would like to give you your money back. And they were like, no, no, don't worry about it, blah, blah, blah. And then they left, and I never saw them again. I have no idea what happened. Mm. But that really kind of came home to me. Like, they were not doing their job as the readie, so to speak. And you can't, as a reader, you can't do that job for them. As a healer, you cannot, you can lead the horse to the water, so to speak, but you can't make a drink. Yeah. Your job as a healer, as a teacher, as a podcaster, is to do what it is that's right for you. That's my opinion. And that's also been my experience. And when you try to do something that needs to be done, you get in the way of the process. <laughs> because there's nothing that needs to be done. Everything is always exactly right. No matter how late someone is getting to the call, no matter how frustrating it was to have a texting conversation with your landlady, everything is happening in exactly the right way. And so your job is to let the clients find you. Now, that may mean doing an amazing website where you work with a coach and you work with a web designer and you do all that. And that may be exactly right. And you'll know because it'll feel better. And it may mean sit down and having a conversation with yourself or someone else about target market Mm -hmm. like you did with like your client did for himself yeah but it may also i can tell you what it means for me today at least i don't care Hmm. come or don't come show up or don't show up (laughs) i will be there 
as long as I put it in my calendar. And if I don't put it in my calendar and I don't show up, there'll be a reason. <laughs> I'll be there and I'll get out of the way and I'll let it happen. And that'll be fabulous and wonderful. And I'll be really excited to find out what happens on the far end because I don't know what's happening in the middle. But it isn't my job to get the person into the seat. It, that's me. Mm. It, that's not true for everyone. Mm. Whenever I've tried to get people in the seat, no matter how, whether I was doing it in the more woo-woo way of like, I'm going to imagine myself being surrounded by all these people, blah, 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 or done more practical things like advertise or try to like send out, okay, you do this and you do that and help me with this. None of that ever works. Right. I have a mailing list of a few hundred people that I send emails to when it feels better and that's it. And the right people show up at the right time all of the time. And I'm also willing to recognize it. And again, I'm not trying to teach a lesson here. Really, really not. What I'm really just saying is you have a way and it changes from a day to day basis, but you have a way that's right for you. And that's how it feels. It's how you know that it's right for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for my client, you know, in, in, in helping him and doing whatever I'm doing there, um, that felt like the right conversation. And yeah, and you may have a completely different conversation the next time you talk to her. Yeah. Something that has a completely different basis on it, something that has a completely different twist. Yeah. But it's not your job to figure that out. Mm -hmm. It's your job to pay attention to what you know to say in the moment. Because he's showing up and saying, I'm here to receive. Mm-hmm. And so you let, and it is channeling. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. Everything is channeling, but the, the capital C channeling that, that I tend to talk about, that's what you're doing also. Mm -hmm. That's what any really, any any healer who's really paying attention is doing. And even ones who aren't, who really are doing it by the book and following the instructions, they're still channeling. Mm -hmm. They just may not be allowing themselves, because it's really about how you feel. Because when you talk about that guy, your energy goes way up. Mm -hmm. Like, you love that story, and I have to agree with you. I love that story, too, mm -hmm. but not like what he did or what he accomplished or even what you did. I just love the expansive nature of how everyone is getting what it is that they want. <laughs> so I'm sitting here in this car with the windows rolled up, and I am sweating, which is really good. I'm having taking a sauna. <laughs> Uh, but I have a client in an hour, so I need to go so I can go have some lunch. Okay. But I, the sweat is one of my favorite parts about sitting here on the beach. <sighs> it's like just it's like a big sauna, and then I'll go sit in a corner so no one has to be around me <sighs> while I'm having my lunch. Uh, but uh, this has been amazing. Yeah, I think there's a. Uh... It'll be another one of those things that I listen to again and I get something new out of it, something new out of it. I think in my mind, I don't even really understand at this point how perfect this was. <laughs> well, that's, that's the other thing is like if you understand its perfection, you're probably not really paying attention. <laughs> the, one last, the one last little thing I'll say is this, and this comes from my mother and it's actually from something this really old guy told her many years ago. Um in a place very similar to this, where I'm sitting right now, he said to her, and the first time she said this to me, it really offended me, but it's now very obvious what she meant, what he meant. Understanding is the booby prize. It's what you think you're going to get, and it never delivers. 
experience is where it's all at. Mm. Understanding is analysis and comprehension, which is great. And you can get understanding. And I've had some astonishing, like, oh, wow, like the idea of like my stepmother's family being all orphans. Right. That was like the, con- the congregation of years of experience all came together within an hour and changed my entire world. Yeah. And it was fabulous. Yeah. But if I had gone after that, I wouldn't probably have ever, or I would have eventually gotten it, but it would have been a long slog. And the magic of being willing to have what you actually want right now, instead of trying to figure out how to go get it mm-hmm. and understand it, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I will stop talking. <laughs> okay. I think that's a good place to end this conversation. Thank you so much, Frank. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. <laughs> and, and a big, big hug and kiss to your landlady. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's who made this conversation be so magical. Well, this is true. This is true. I'm really grateful for her. <laughs> you don't have to be grateful. Well, not at the I'm moment. Grateful. I'm not I have to be grateful for her. Okay. At the moment, I'm not. <laughs> And that's okay. I'm not in Toronto, so I can be sitting at the beach in my little sauna. Yeah. Very grateful for her while you do whatever you need to do. Right. Yeah. So that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a specific way I can be helpful. That's not terribly personal. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode with Frank and I off the seesaw. You probably can recognize moments where you have been on a seesaw, maybe even situations in your life now that feel very similar to that dynamic. And I do hope that like me, this shift in perspective is helpful to you. This willingness, keyword. I know that keeping that willingness in my heart as I navigated the situation with my landlady was very helpful. And as Frank said, if you're willing, things will change. And they did. A lot of the things that I felt might happen or that I might have to do or respond to The heat from all that just dissipated. After the inspection, it didn't feel threatening anymore. I encourage you to think about this dynamic of the seesaw. Is it appearing in your life? And if so, try the experiment of willingness. It made a difference to me. And I become more conscious of situations where it seems like somebody is in opposition to me and how I respond to that. I would say I'm getting much better at being willing. (laughs) I do feel it's a practice. It doesn't have to be, of course. You might just get it and just be willing, (laughs) recognizing it and 
allowing things to change through your willingness. And about target market and you being your customer's target market or your client's target market. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? For show notes, go to my website, www.leaderscalltoadventure.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you.